You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pacers fans, happy Thursday, happy game day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast where we talk about the Indiana Pacers five days a week. As always, I'm one of the hosts of this show, Tony East, with the West Indianapolis Community News and over at 8.9 seconds where we just dropped a huge, huge, huge mock draft where the Pacers picked 26th. They could end up picking before that in real life, but it's really cool. There's literally a description for every player on every pick the whole way. Uh, ben Pfeiffer, Luke Parrish, Jonathan Mathay, some smart dudes over there. Uh, love talking about the NBA drafter there. Uh, we're going to start talking draft. Me and Adam will here pretty soon, probably. We might do it now, but I think we're going to wait till after the playoffs. Um, but spoiler alert for those interested, uh, I really like Kobe White and Trey Jones, but I don't want the Pacers to pick them because they have guards. Uh, they end up picking Talon Horton Tucker from Iowa State in this one. He's a tiny but a wing. Uh, I really like that pick. Anyway, today we are all Bulls fans because last night the Bulls made us all happy by defeating the Philadelphia 76ers, giving the Pacers a full game lead over them uh, in the standings as we approach this the matinee on Sunday where uh, the Pacers and Sixers face off in what will be basically the most highly anticipated uh, Pacers game of the season. Uh, that game has massive tiebreaker implications, and I might make that my entire seg- second segment. I'm going to do tiebreaker stuff um, between Philly and Boston, so be prepared for that. But first, let's talk Bucks because we got Bucks tonight. Bucks really good, uh, like really good. <laughs> uh, like I, I can't say enough about the Bucks that that uh, that hasn't been said already, but I'm gonna try. So they have recently lost to the Suns. They actually got swept by the Suns this season. Can you believe that? The Pacers swept the Suns. So transitive property here. Suns very good. Um, but yeah, they just lost to the Suns. It was their last game of a road trip. Now they got two days off before this game. So thankfully they're pissed off too. So they're gonna be playing uh, their absolute best. But th- this team is just so good uh, to me. They just are are so hard to beat because they have surround they they they've done what the LeBron teams have tried to do for so long, which is surround your superstar with the best possible roster for him. And while Kyrie Irving is, you know, I think playing with with uh, LeBron is a skill, and Kyrie Irving has that mastered. I don't necessarily think the rest of that roster was tailored to play with LeBron outside of maybe Kyle Korver, whereas the Bucks have great shooters. Great defensive players at almost every position the whole way. Pretty good young players. Guys who can do some stuff off the dribble when Giannis is out of the game. They just have the perfect group of, of whatever, 10 guys to throw in a rotation with him and automatically be killing it. And we saw that uh, as these teams played you know, in the second game of the season when the, when the Bucks were just 2-0. and uh, You could already tell they were going to be good. They blew the doors off the Pacers that night. And it was the opening of... What is it, the Pfizer Forum or whatever they call it now, their, their new stadium. Um, they were just unbelievable in that game. And at the time, we were all like, well, the Bucks can't shoot this well every game. Uh, I don't think they're going to win this easily all the time. Well, guess what? They're uh, they're this good. So I think we have to be prepared for the reality that they could do this again as, as the Pacers are in Milwaukee for the first time since that game. Uh, the Bucks though, lost two in a row. 
uh, two two tough ones, but they've been dealing with some injuries. I don't exactly know which one of them, which ones of them, excuse me, are going to bleed over into tonight's game. Uh, George Hill missed their last game. Dante DiVincenzo missed their last game, and Sterling Brown missed their last game. Um, Brown and DiVincenzo are on the fringe of the rotation. Hill does play for them, but not as much. Uh, but as Adam and I talked about, they went with this just massive group with all six, eight, and over dudes. They started Giannis at the point guard, actually, and then Chris Middleton, uh, Ursan, Ilias Sova, uh, Brooke Lopez, and Nikola Mirotic for their starting five. So just huge, huge guys all the way through. Uh, they're going to be very, very hard to beat in this game. And now, you know, their their backup center was their weakest spot, right? Like, Brooke Lopez would come out of the game and they'd go small with, like, DJ Wilson or they would try to sneak Miritich in or Ilyasova in at center or even Jason Smith a few times um, was getting center minutes for them. Not that Jason Smith's, like, a bad center necessarily. He's just not a good center. Um, But they were able to add Pau Gasol, uh, who got bought out by the Spurs last week. Great for Pau, the Spurs, and the Bucks here, really. Uh, Pau's a really old player now. He's not really threatening, but underrated part of Pau Gasol is he's actually a decent shooter from the outside. Uh, last year in San Antonio, he, he shot 45% from deep. Uh, he's been healthily league average or better since basically he joined the Bulls in 2014. Another perfect fit with the Bucks. So chalk that up to another great management move by them to, to be able to add him so late in the year and to be able to get him uh, while he can help them in the playoffs. I don't know that he'll play that much. Anyway, uh, as the Pacers have played so many times and will continue to do so, um, they keep playing these uh, one-off, these teams with one just stud. You know, they played... Doncic last week I talked about stopping Doncic and winning and then they played Towns I talked about top stopping Towns and winning with Giannis I think it's the opposite effect uh, as I laid out earlier on, in the week on the show uh, Giannis is averaging 27 points 13 rebounds 6 assists I don't like Thad I think Thad slowing him down was one of the flukiest things of all time uh, because last time they played Giannis even mentioned after that game, like, the Pacers are good and Thad's really good. And he finished with 33 points, 19 rebounds, and 11 assists. Even when a guy who Giannis acknowledges defends him well, Bucks fans acknowledge defends him well, he can do that well. I think you just have to throw in the talent and say, okay, you know what? This guy's going to do this well. We're going to not let him because that's not how you do it. But we're going to, uh, we're going to be... We're not going to help off any more than we normally would to stop this guy because once he gets going to the basket, he's just going to score. Uh, I think you have to be very, very disciplined guarding the other guys in the court at all times, however. You know, if Chris Middleton is in the corners or if he's cutting to an open spot on the three-point line, don't worry about helping. Just stay with him. You know, don't let him get a better look than Giannis would have. Same with Malcolm Brogdon. He's super efficient uh, if he's doing something dangerous. Unless it's off the dribble, let him do stuff off the dribble, which he did a lot in the last game, but... You know, let Malcolm Brogdon do whatever. He, uh, don't, don't let Malcolm Brogdon do whatever he wants. Uh, their newly extended Eric Bledsoe, same stuff. You know, I think it makes sense. I don't need to keep running through players. Um, just you have to be smart about how you guard guys away from Giannis. Give them less space than you normally would. And close out really hard. Uh, and don't let them just blow by you because Bledsoe's pretty quick. But outside of Bledsoe, they don't have necessarily super fast guys either. Uh, besides Giannis, of course. But you just you stay at home and, and make these guys find a way to beat you side to side or, or shooting the ball over the top. But I think you can do okay so long as you're not over-helping or over-extending. Uh, if you want tape on, on how to guard Giannis, 
I want to oh crap I thought I had the team in my head that did it really well and I honestly can't remember now um, so that is useless information to you all uh, I the Rockets stick out in my head as the team that did it but they they gave up like 40 something to Giannis but it was like how you're supposed to defend him and it worked and they won um, or was it the Bucks defending Harden in that game crap I can't remember now there are teams that have figured it out um, but in the same way with, that I would be with Harden, it's just like, okay, Harden's going to score a bunch, and you have to sag off, and, and not sag off, but like not help so hard that you let other guys beat you because he's going to score anyway. So that's my honest take. And the rest of the Bulls, you know, Middleton can, can kill you a little bit, but but some Bucks people are, have seen him struggling recently. Um, Middleton is... is is in the complimentary of Giannis All-Star. I don't know if he was uh, the best player on your team, if he would necessarily be this good. But he's a very good player playing off of Giannis. But he's the guy that you, him and him and blood. So if you can uh, keep them slowed down while Giannis does his thing, I think you have a good shot. That's how they were able to win when they did slow Giannis down. As Middleton also struggled. Uh, Lopez went off, or Bledsoe went off that game. But it is what it is. Uh, the other one, Miles Turner has to have a good game. It's going to be hard for him with Brooke Lopez stretching him out. But he can do it. He's on it before. Uh, and on the offensive end, this team is very good, number one in the league in defense, just because they incite you to take mid-range shots, do not cave in. I think the Pacers have to get to the basket, make them, you know, take one extra hard dribble to get a defender to commit and then kick it out to the open shooters. And I think uh, if they can do all that, they'll have a, a good chance of winning, but that's a lot to do, especially on a road game against uh, an MVP candidate. But I believe in this team. They've beaten this team before, so we'll see how it goes. It should be a good one. But once it's over, they get the Philadelphia 76ers in Philly. I'll preview that game later in the week. But first, uh, but now, not first, Let's. Uh, I'm going to cut to a segment talking about tiebreakers. So stick around, and we'll talk about uh, all the rules of tiebreakers. So Philly loses to the Bulls. That came out of nowhere. I have no idea how the Bulls pulled it off. They were in a back-to-back. -back. After playing the Pacers, Zach Levine hits the game winner late in the game, and then some chaotic ending happened. Um, but the Bulls pulled it off. They won, and now the Pacers have a full game lead over Philly uh, with that Sunday game looming. Obviously, um, the Pacers have that Bucks game in the middle, so who knows uh, if they'll win that one or not. But uh, between that game, the Sixers play the Rockets, so if – in Houston, uh, if the Sixers can win that game and the Pacers lose, they'll be tied heading into this one, which means the tiebreaker becomes even more important literally during the day because the winner of that game will jump ahead. Uh, and the winner of that game could jump ahead either way because if the Sixers win, no matter what happens in the other Pacers game, they could jump them because of tiebreakers. Uh, Sixers up 2-1 in the series. So the way the playoff seeding tiebreaker works, me and Adam laid this out early in the week, but now I have a little bit more intel in that I can actually do math for you guys this time. Um, the playoff seating tiebreakers in order will go one, head-to-head. Uh, -head. So if Philly wins, that's 3-1. They're up in the head-to-head, -head and they will get it. Uh, and then number two tick down is if one of the teams wins a division and the other one doesn't, the division winner gets the seed. That, will not ma that could matter in the eighth spot maybe, uh, but not looking like it will. Uh, affect anything here. I don't think either of these teams will vault Toronto or Milwaukee, who have a comfortable four-game lead over both. Uh, so you jump over that one. Next one, technically, um, if they're in the same division, is record against division opponents. They're not in the same division, so you jump past that one. Next one is conference record. Uh, and you play, so if you think about it, you play all 15 teams in the other conference twice. So that's 30 games. So you play 52 against your own conference. The Pacers are at 
42 and they've won 29. And the Sixers are at 39 and they've won 23. So they have 13 more games against the East. If they win out, they'll go 36 and 16, meaning if the Pacers can win eight more games uh, against Eastern Conference foes, the rest of the way they can clinch that, and that's if the Buc- the Sixers, excuse me, go undefeated against the Eastern Conference the rest of the way. Now in the East, for the Pacers remaining 10 Eastern Conference games, they've got Bucks, Sixers, Knicks, Celtics, Magic, Pistons, Pistons, Hawks, Nets. So I think you can you can get a Hawks win. I think you can get a Nets win. I think you can sneak in one Pistons win. Uh, you can probably win the Magic game and the Knicks game. So there's five just off the top of my head. Maybe they sneak in an upset or lose an extra one. Either way, there's five. They can get to 34. So Sixers would have to win um, 11 of their 13 uh, final Eastern Conference games to jump the Pacers in that tiebreaker section. I literally had their schedule up, and I re-Googled the Pacers one to have it in front of me. Um, the Sixers do have some easy Eastern Conference games the rest of the way, though. They got the Cavs still. Uh, they also have Bucks, celtics here. Then the Hornets, the Magic, the Hawks, the Nets. Those are all easy. The Hawks again. Uh, the Bulls twice, the and then the lat, they play the Bucks again and the Heat. So really, you should be rooting hard for every East team against the Sixers in those games because that tiebreaker could become massively important uh, should the Pacers win this game. But I think their schedule is just tough enough that this is going to shake out really close. Um, but you have to remember, if the Pacers win this game, that's one extra win they have in that Eastern Conference battle. And since they're already ahead by six games in the win, that'll put them up seven. And that that, that just is a huge uphill battle for the Sixers. I'd imagine um, that the Pacers win that tiebreaker, So, especially if they win this game. So should they win this game, I think they have a great shot at holding, off, holding the tiebreaker over the Sixers uh, at season's end. So... Really, we have to. We there's a lot, a lot riding on this game. I mean, I, obviously, like you're playing a very good team. Uh, there's a lot riding on it because of that, but even more so with tiebreakers and, and home courts and and all that yada yada that you just I feel like the Pacers really have to win. Um, and that's not the only tiebreaker to look at because, of course, the basketball gods just like to make the Pacers work for everything. Uh, the Celtics could matter too if they end up that being a 4-5 series. Uh, that one could be especially important because it's the difference between home court and not home court. Uh, Celtics currently up 2-1. to one. I'm going to uh, maybe retract that statement because I can't think. I believe the Pacers are up, or the Celtics are, or that's 1-1. One to one. Okay, I thought, so. uh, there we go. That's why I retracted that. So they have two more games, it's 1-1. One to one. If the Pacers win one of those two, at worst, they tie with the Celtics. If they win both, they win the season series, and if they end up tied, uh, the Pacers would get the higher seed. Uh, but in terms of conference record, the Celtics are 28-13, and 13, and the Pacers are 29-13. and 13. And the Celtics have a much easier uh, rest-of-the-way schedule. So you'd have to imagine they end up with the better conference record of these two teams. So it's imperative that the Pacers uh, sweep the Celtics the rest of the way, which is a very hard-to-do task because it's going to be very challenging for them to end up ahead of them in that tiebreaker. Uh, And obviously finishing with a better record than both of these teams is ideal, but uh, it's just something else you you have to look at. Uh, you know, as the season rolls along, is is now that especially with less than 20 games to go, is you know if it does shake out that they end up with the same record, what's it look like? You know, that's what it looks like. So uh, just keep an eye on these tiebreakers. I'll, I'll write a post about it so it's it's in one place to see uh, for you all. But let's do one more thing on uh, on Miles Turner, kind of struggling a little bit because he's got a massive 
uh, stretch coming up for him. So uh, one more break, talk Miles Turner, and then I'll get you guys out of here. So I, I wonder with this Miles thing that I'm about to say, if this injury had something to do with with his if if his hip injury that he has had right after the All Star break had something to do with it, um, because he's shooting so decently from three still. Uh, in the five games he's played since the injury, since the All-Star break, he's hitting 38.5% from deep. That's pretty commiserate with the season average, a little lower, actually, because um, he's shooting so well from the outside. But his overall field goal percentage is just 34%. So his twos are just not going in. I think eye test for all of us matches that. Uh, you know, he's, he's missing some layups and some mid-rangers. And um, I forget who pointed this out originally, but now it's easy to notice, like, when Turner goes through these slumps of shooting, it seems like, you know, instead of landing either right where he jumps from or or a little bit forward even on his jump shot, he lands a little behind uh, where he takes off from, and the ball just glances off a little short. And I think seeing these misses over and over, you know, really rattle him. And then you combine that with, you know, he's getting a career high in blocks, but it's for nothing because um, the Bulls are just scooping up all these rebounds. Like, all of a sudden in his head, uh, his effort feels wasted. He, he, something goes on. Something clicks wrong for him, and and his confidence dwindles a little bit. And I think you know you you've no, I've noticed it a little bit for for him for him on offense. I think his defense has been sublime. Uh, that Bulls game, he was very very good on the defensive end. He finished with 11 rebounds uh, and seven blocks. But his offense, only 8.6 points per game over the five, has been uh, really rough. And it, it's I, I, it's kind of hard to pinpoint why. Uh, their offense is a bit different since the All-Star break. Uh, not, like, drastic. They just don't have the same safety valve they used to with, with Oladipo. And now, when it, you know, at the end of possessions, they have guys cutting out for threes like Matthews and Bojan, or Bojan's the guy at the end of the possession, and Bojan's a less willing passer at the end of possessions than Vic was. So you get Turner less in a rhythm in that way. But at the same time, like, DC is the best guy on the team at feeding Turner. That hasn't happened as much. I think that that might need to pick up for Turner to get out of this uh, mini slump. Uh, I, I don't have his usage in front of me in, in this span, but I think uh, his usage is down, has to be down a little bit too. Uh, he's fouling more often. It's like four over four a game. That's Sabonis numbers in this stretch. So uh, he's going to have to to figure stuff something out or, or get a little more confidence somehow because – he, he seems a little rattled recently, and they need him to be at his absolute A game. A with Sabonis out, which um, I'll focus on the bench without him tomorrow. Um, and B with Quinn also failing a lot because then they have, I mean, Fat at center works, but Fat is so important to the team because he plays so many minutes every game that they need him to be as energized as he possibly can be when he's in at the four. And, um, you know, obviously we're focusing recently, the story for the team has been Leaf playing well. Uh, but the more Leaf plays isn't necessarily a good thing because he's like him playing well is still like a net neutral player. Uh, they'd like to have the net positive out there more at the four. So uh, Turner stepping up, absolutely imperative to me as, as the schedule gets really hard. Um, speaking of that, excuse me, I'm burping. Um, I just wrote a post on 8.9 seconds about how hard the schedule is about to get for these next 20 games. Uh, I feel bad for that segment I did right after the All-Star break about their schedule not being that hard because I, I don't know how much it resonated, but the point was that like right out of the All-Star break, these games we had before this tonight's Bucks game were uh, against pretty average teams, and then after the stretch, another bunch of average teams. Like It didn't seem so bad in whole, but if you really ride it as a wave, you can kind of tell like it goes like easy, really hard, easy, and this really hard stretch that everybody's been talking about all year is here now. 
Uh, Bucks Sixers the next two games, so, so look out for that. I'll talk Sixers a little bit tomorrow as well as about this Bucks game and the bench with Savonis, so at least I have the whole show planned, which is my favorite. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope the game tonight is enjoyable, and I'll see you tomorrow.